0: Good morning, we're glad you're here this morning, if you're really glad to be here this morning, I want you to say amen as loud as you can, ready, one, two, three, amen. you know, because I tell you, as I we're singing the songs, I just, man, in my heart, my spirit, I thought, you know, I think sometimes for me, I don't know about you, because I'm, I'm kind of weird this way, but sometimes I just show up on Sunday morning I know I do this thing up here but I mean m- my heart is not into it I'm thinking you know we have the opportunity to come this morning and to worship to adore a king who's worth it right so when you say good good father may that's I hope that's not words is rolled off your tongue but you realize that hey even life is terrible he is a good father and that we've come to not only meet with him but to hear from him this morning. So I want us to pray one more time, and then we're going to get into the word. God, I love you. I thank you for today. And I pray with all of my heart, starting with this guy on stage, that we've come this morning, that, that just by being here is not good enough for us, that we've come because we know we need to meet with you. Whether life is great, our life is terrible, whether circumstances are weighty, our circumstances are blissful, we know that today we need to meet with you, and we need to hear from you. So God, may you speak to us powerfully. May your Holy Spirit have freedom in this place and convict us and challenge us so that we would leave here different than we came in this room. God, we love you and we need you today. And so may you speak to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. We have begun this journey many, many weeks ago called Red Thread. And so by this point, everybody knows the goal of the series is to look through the Old Testament and to see the continual thread of God's love and God's rescue for all of humanity, right? I mean, that's kind of been the goal there. And last week, we did something totally interesting that we looked at this guy named David. As we've been looking at this thread of God's love and rescue, up to that point, we've been looking at how God rescued mankind, how God rescued humanity, how God really stepped in and intervened. But last week, we not we saw God's intervention in David's life, when David had one of his greatest defeats remember the the story David and and Bathsheba and he sinned and then he denied it he tried to cover it up and it took a prophet of God to point him in the finger in his face and go dude you're the one that's blown it and then God begins to get his attention but I said this last week and this is huge for us that in God's journey of rescue we all have a part we all have a part and our part is very simple it's repentance Psalm 51 is a beautiful picture of a man whose heart was broken because he sinned against God. He rebelled against God, and his heart was shattered before God. And the very end of Psalm 51, it says, that's what God desires from us, a broken and a contrite heart. Meaning, what God wants from us is repentance. You have a role in your rescue. If you don't know Jesus your Savior and you put your faith and trust in him, your role is repentance, saying, Lord, I know I've sinned against you, and I turn from that. If you're a believer and you need rescue from a situation or circumstance or sin that's in your life, your role is still repentance. It's still going, Lord, I know the sin of my life doesn't need to be there. It's disobedience to you. It's rebellion to you. But, God, I I, I want to be rescued from it, and so I repent. I want to turn from it, and I want you to do a work in my life. Our role in rescue is repentance now today we're going to fast forward several hundred years so if you have your bibles i want you to turn to the book you meet with me of second kings chapter five. Second kings chapter five is where we're going to be just turn to genesis and start thumbing to the right all right you'll eventually we'll get there second kings chapter five now we're going to fast forward because the interesting to kind of catch you up historically when david was king there was one kingdom it was the nation of israel they had one king he was david started with saul then it went to david And then eventually David had a son named Solomon who becomes king. And the whole nation of Israel was under one kingdom then eventually some things happen. It takes too long to tell you about that, but some things happen, and now there's no longer one kingdom. There's two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. So if you read your Bible in the Old Testament, sometimes you'll hear them referred to the nation of Israel or you'll hear them referred to Judah. Well, those are all Israelites, but now they're in two separate kingdoms. Northern kingdom is Israel, southern kingdom is Judah. In fact, all the prophets in the Bible... Were, were prophesying in one of those two kingdoms while they lasted. Now, interesting enough to know, First and Second Kings talk about northern kingdom of Israel and southern kingdom of Judah. The book of Chronicles, which is right after Kings, talks specifically about the, king, the, the, the kingdom of Judah. So when you read your Bible, you kind of need to know that. Now, in the northern kingdom of Israel, there was a great prophet whose name was Elijah. And Elijah was a very, very famous prophet for a couple of reasons. First of all, because he had like this mountaintop experience where he was on this mountain called Mount Carmel. And he was up there. I I wonder if there was really Carmel up there. I'm not really sure. But anyway, he's on this mountaintop. And the Bible says there's 450 prophets of Baal. In other words, there's 450 priests and prophets of this false god on this mountain. And only Elijah representing the god. And he had this amazing defeat where these prophets of Baal were doing all this crazy stuff. They were like cutting themselves, trying to get their God to show up. And and, and Elijah does the most godly thing. He's like taunting them like you know maybe you ought to work a little harder it's just not working out for you and eventually elijah says okay are you done yet and they're like yeah we were exhausted and we're we're bleeding we're bleeding so we're we're done here and so elijah then goes builds an altar puts a bull on it and then he he does something really strange he pours water on the bull so when you pour water on the bull what doesn't happen fire right and then the Elijah makes it there's a little different he digs a trench around the bull and he puts so much water on the bull that when it runs to the trenches even the trenches begin to overflow so this bull's not going up in flames if you get the picture but Elijah calls out to God and you probably know the story knowing is the bull consumed but it's the bible says that even all the water in the trenches were licked up what a moment and all the 450 prophets of Baal went uh oh <laughs> right i mean cuz like his God showed up, and then, I, then the beautiful story, Elijah kills them all. I mean, it's an amazing story of one of his greatest victories. Also, Elijah's famous for this. Elijah never died, right? Elijah never died. Elijah just, you know the old westerns when they just go off into the sunset? He just went off into heaven. But there's a guy that followed Elijah, not to be confused. His name was Elisha, all right? He was the successor of Elijah, Now, during Elisha's time frame, which kind of leads us into the story, Israel, this northern kingdom of Israel, is at odds with this country known as Syria. And they had some really big battles. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, especially in Kings, you're going to see some of those battles between Israel and Syria. I mean, there was no love lost between these two. They were always at war. They had a bad relationship. And that's kind of the backdrop that leads us into the story, because we're going to see a Syrian guy that God does something in the life of a Syrian guy that makes no sense. Why would God do that? And at first glance, when we look at this story, you're going to say, okay, there's just a guy that got healed of a really terrible disease. Yeah, I need to know that, but, but I, I would submit to you that the story's bigger than just the guy that got healed from a terrible disease. I would submit to you that this story is a story of rescue. And you're going to see it play out in a very different way, but here's the thing. As we go through the story, at the very end of today, here's what I want to do. I want us to look at some things that we learn about rescue that has to apply to our lives all right so if you have your bible second kings here we go chapter five and we're just going to walk through some verses verse one it says this naaman commander of the army of the king of syria was a great man with his master in high favor because by him the lord had given victory to syria he was a mighty man of valor but he was a leper Now, some things we learned about this guy named Naaman. I mean, Naaman's the guy we're going to talk about today. First of all, we learned about him is that he was a commander in the Syrian army. Now, here's why that is important. If you're a commander in the Syrian army, that means you're pretty bought into your country. You're pretty bought into the Syrian way. In fact, you've worked your way up through the ranks to become commander because commander was only second into the king of Syria. So there may have been a lot of commanders, but they were like the king and then the commanders, which means Naaman had a lot of power and a lot of authority. He was a commander. We also find out that it says here that he was well-respected. It says um, that he was a great man with his master and in high favor that he was greatly respected, that this man was not only cared for by his commanders and people, but that in, even in the community he lived in and the place he worked at, I mean, people looked at him and go, this guy is somebody that is the special. He is. He's uplifting. This guy is above board. This guy was highly favored. And it also says here, I want you to notice, it says, and um, he was a mighty member. It says, that, I'm sorry, he had high favor because him, the Lord had given him victory to Syria. Now, who gave This guy, Naaman, victory while he was in Syria. Who gave it to him? Now, that's interesting. Because the Lord is the God of what nation? Israel. You're with me on this, right? But it just says that the Lord is the one who gave Syria, and this guy as commander, victory. Do you see a conflict of interest there, right? These two people are at odds. And yet, the Lord gave him the victory. But I think it's also important to notice that the Lord gave Naaman the victories for Syria. Why? Because God is trying to do something in Naaman's life that maybe we need to take note of. So we find out this guy's a commander. He's well-respected. But then notice how it ends there in verse 1. It says that he was a man of valor, but he was a leper, right? He's like, he's a great guy, but he was terrible too, right? He was a leper. Now, you probably have heard leprosy talked about before from the Bible time. So I'm not going to go through all the, the gruesome details of what leprosy. You just need to know it was a disease that body parts just would fall off, decay, rotten, and fall off. But the interesting thing about leprosy is this, that leprosy in the Bible is a beautiful picture and also uses a picture of sin. Let me, let me show you the parallel. Leprosy was a disease that decayed from the inside out. That leprosy was a disease you attracted, but it didn't just, I mean, you saw the the, the the issues on the outside, but it was a disease that began on the inside that would decay the body to the point where now you would see it on the outside, and body parts like fingers would just fall off. It was a terrible disease. Also, we know about leprosy that leprosy just killed. There was absolutely no cure for leprosy there was none if you acquired leprosy you were just going to die when didn't we didn't know what to what level you acquired it but if you had leprosy at some point you were going to pass away you were going to leave this earth because that disease always killed which leads me to the third thing about leprosy leprosy because if you acquired it guess what did you have trouble finding friends you think yeah because yeah. if you touched them and they got it guess what Friendship destroyed, because now they have a disease that's incurable, right? I mean, if, you, if someone came in the room with, as a leopard, all of us are going to go to the other side of the room, right? So leprosy led to separation and isolation. In fact, in Jesus' time, when someone with, had leprosy, as they entered a city, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. That's like walking to Walmart going, center, 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 right here, Right? Right? That's what it was. Now, here's the parallel. Sin is a disease that decays us from the inside out. Right? I mean, think about it. Jesus says, above all else, I mean, the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Why do we guard our heart? Because when we let lepro- that leprosy and that sin, that disease in our heart, eventually it's going to impact us. That's why Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. See, sin is a disease that decays us from the inside out. So, for example, if you see me do something that's sinful and rebellious, you now you, you walk by and I'm at McDonald's and I'm just cussing up a storm at the, at the person at the counter because they've done such a terrible job and I'm going off, you're going to be upset with my sin, but just know this, that sin didn't start with just in a moment I, it came out of my mouth. It started in my heart. Sin begins in here. And the decay begins to happen, and eventually it comes out of our mouth and out of our lives. But sin also has no cure. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Because we all sin, we will surely die, all of us. And sin leads to separation And isolation, right? Sin separates us from God because God is holy, God is just, and God is perfect. Sin separates us from God. even when we as believers sin, we still have a relationship with God, but we broke that fellowship with God, don't we? It's kind of like marriage. You know when you have a fight with your spouse, I mean, you don't cease to be married. I mean, hopefully you don't have that conversation, you don't cease to be married, but she may not talk to you for a while. She, he may not talk to you for a while because fellowship is broken. so when as a believer, when we sin, there is a fellowship of separation that we have to co- repent and come back to God. So as we look at this man Naaman, here's what we see. He's highly favored. He's a man of valor. He is respectable. He's a, a great guy with great authority and great power. But he has a problem, a big problem, a life-ending problem. He has leprosy. He's going to die. Now the story goes on. Look with me in verse 2. It says this. <clears throat> now the Syrians on their on the raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel that's that tension I talked about. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she, she said to her mistress, that's her, his, his wife, would that my lord with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. In other words, there's this little girl, follow the story here. Israel's in battle with Syria. And somehow when the battle was going on, they took a little girl from Israel and brought her back to Syria and basically put her in to be a slave. So there's a problem between Syria and Israel. And this little girl knows her master's husband has leprosy. So she goes to her master, Naaman's wife, and goes, hey, I know a guy in Samaria. I know a guy who's an Israelite. I know a guy who can heal Naaman. Now, think about it. Leprosy is curable or is it incurable? You can't cure it. You're going to die. So if you're Naaman, all of a sudden, for the first time, you've just heard hope right for the first time you knew that this disease was going to kill you you knew this disease was going to take you out and for the first time this little girl gives you hope now please hear me and this is just kind of a sidebar this morning if you're a follower of jesus christ please hear me we live in a dark and a broken world where people are seeking and searching for something to sink their teeth into to give them hope please hear me if you're a believer you have that hope. And it's not you. It's the good news, the gospel message you have inside of you that there's a heavenly father who loves them to sit their son to die for them that all they have to do is believe him. We have that hope. And as I read the story, it was like God would just remind me, Doug, you need to be like that little girl as you go through a lost and a broken world going, hey, by the way, I know a guy. I know a guy. Who can help? And and for me, it was a real indictment on my heart as a believer going, how many times am I like this little girl? This little girl didn't have to say anything. She's a slave girl. I mean, she's been taken and ripped from mom and dad's arms, and now she's a slave in a foreign country. I mean, if I'm her, I'm like, oh, I want him to die, right? Because they took her, right? Wouldn't you feel that way? But she's like, no, 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 there's a guy. I know a guy who can heal you. And I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have that hope. And real quick question, how good are we at sharing it with other people? How good are we investing in them, inviting them? Maybe, will it be the church or inviting them to a relationship? How good are we at that? May we be like this little girl. The story goes on, verse 4 through 7. <clears throat> it says this, So Naaman went in and told his lord, that's his, the that's his king, thus and spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, that's a problem because there's tension here. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. And when the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I a god to kill and to make life? And this this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy only consider and see how is seeking a quarrel with me in other words the king of israel's is like, are you just trying to start another fight i mean we're already at odds here and, and you're just trying to start a fight with me but what i want you to notice is on naaman's side of things naaman hears this hope now please hear this he hears there's hope what does naaman do does naaman go you know what i'm a syrian i'm not going to israel that you know what i'll figure something out is that what naaman does no now now listen i think one, sometimes maybe the reason we aren't willing to share the hope with people around us is because we're afraid they're going to reject it and some weird warp thinking we think that we got rejected in the process ultimately it's not us it's god but what if we had the courage of the little girl because you know what naaman did naaman goes you know what i'm going He went and told the king, his boss, going, hey, there's a guy that can cure me. I know I'm a man of valor. I know I'm I'm highly favored by you, but there's a guy that can cure a disease that's going to kill me, and I want to go. And the king's like, go. Go. Listen, there are people that if we share hope with them, they're probably not going to reject us. They're going to go, tell me more. Because if they're searching that hard and need it that bad, they're not going to shut you down. Naaman didn't shut the girl down, so he goes to his lord and says, I need to go, and, and he says, go, but I want you to notice here that, that after Naaman gets permission to go, when he gets, what does he do? He begins to take all this money with him, right? It's almost like Naaman thought I could somehow buy my healing from this guy. Like I'm going to show up and he's going to go, yeah, I'll heal you, but it's going to take like 10,000 shekels here, you know. If you want a healing here, it's going to cost you something, right? I mean, it's almost like Naaman thought power and wealth could buy the rescue he was looking for. And it baffles me that nowhere in the story do you see anything in Naaman's heart that goes, what if I just go plead mercy? What if I just go and beg him for grace? What if I go and say, Would you?" I don't have anything, I'm just a leper, and I'm just I'm begging for your mercy on my life. I mean, there is no radar in, in Naaman's heart for grace and mercy. He thought he could buy his healing. And on top of that, look what happens. He goes to the wrong person, right? Who does he go to? The king. And the Bible says, the king tore his robes and go. am I a god? In other words, what in the world are you doing here? You brought a leper into my palace. Are you just trying to pick a fight with me? The story goes on. Verse 8, this is where it gets good. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, underline that, let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha hears what's going on. Here's about what's happening, and here's what Elisha does. Elisha offers Naaman an invitation. Now, why did Elisha do that? Elisha did it because Elisha knew that Naaman was seeking something, and what he needed more than anything else was a touch from God, right? He knew that more than anything else, what Naaman really needed was a touch from God. And it's funny in the story that if you really think think about it, isn't it true that, that God is somehow using this disease in Naaman's life to draw Naaman to himself? Have you ever thought about that in your life? That maybe God uses my situation and my circumstances to draw me. Listen, I'm telling you, one thing I love on Sunday morning, and please don't stop this. I love on Sunday morning, especially after the service is over, I love not only just talking to folks, but I love hearing people's stories. I mean, I could just scan the room and just start pointing at people going, man, your story, man, you had a horrible a moment, a horrible situation. But look where God has brought you. Why? Because God used the horrible to draw you back to him or to draw you to him for the first time. Isn't that an amazing thing about God? And God was using this disease in Naaman to draw him in. So Elisha offers him an invitation. And the invitation is, let him come to me. Let him come to me to me. Now, who else offered an invitation that sounded a whole lot like that? Jesus did. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, are burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, Jesus had this amazing ability to offer this simple invitation of, come. Just come. As you are, as bad as you are, with the baggage you have, I'm just saying, would you just come? And Elijah offers Naaman this invitation, and Naaman goes to Elijah. Listen to what happens in verse 9 through 12. So Naaman <clears throat> came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the doors of Elisha's house. Now, basically, there's this grand gesture. He's come with his, his Syrian horses and his Syrian chariots, and da-da-da-da, Shrek has arrived. I mean, this guy... Is at the door. Are you with me? All right, so if you're awake, you got that, all right. So he's at the door here, and it says in verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to meet me and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Far, the rivers of Damascus? Better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. So here's this Naaman who gets this invitation from Elisha and he goes to Elisha and Elisha's like chilling out on the couch, probably watching the game. He goes, Hey, by the way, tell this guy to go to the Jordan River and to dip seven times in the river and then he'll be clean. Now you think about it, Elisha's solution is simple. Just go to the Jordan and dip in the river seven times and you're going to be clean. Now, for Naaman, that was a problem. Naaman was enraged by what uh, Elisha had said for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was not uncommon. Now, we don't think this way, but it was not uncommon to take baths in the river. They didn't have indoor plumbing, right? They didn't have the, you know, massage shower heads. They get in and they just can relax themselves. I mean, where did you get clean at? Okay, not a trick question. Where'd you get clean at? In the river, right? And a cold river in the wintertime, right? I mean, that's where you got clean. It was in the river. So when Elisha says, hey, Naaman, go to the Jordan River and just dip seven times. Naaman's like, are you kidding me? Is it really just that easy? Is it really just that simple, Elisha? That seems too simple and too foolish. But on top of that, Elisha doesn't even come to the door. Did you pick up on that? He sent a messenger. He's like told his you know whoever's in the room say hey just go tell the guy to just go dip in the Jordan seven times. Now this guy's showing up in horses, and a chariot, and he said I expected him to come to the door and to call the name his Lord is God and kind of wave his hand over the disease. In other words, he wanted this grandiose, this, this boisterous healing to happen so everybody go. Oh. That's what he wanted, right? But it didn't happen, and he left enraged and what took place now here's just a real quick thought for you as I read the story here's here's a note that I wrote down Naaman's real issue wasn't leprosy his real issue was faith right now here's what we all know was the water going to cure Naaman no it was the Jordan River Was going to cure Naaman not at all I mean Nothing special, I mean, just because Jesus got baptized in it doesn't mean they had like this holy water sprinkled through it, so if you stepped in it, everybody was healed. That's not what happened. But what was going to heal Naaman was faith and obedience to the Lord's command to the prophet Elisha. That's what was going to heal him. If he was faithful and put his faith in the command, if he obeyed the command that the Lord gave Elisha, that's what was going to bring healing. See, this man's problem was belief versus unbelief, pride versus surrender. Doesn't that sound a lot like us sometimes? Pride versus surrender. Now let's look how the story ends before I get to some lessons we need to learn. Verse 13. But his servant came near, this is is, uh, uh, Naaman's servant, and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? In other words, really? Really? (laughs) We just traveled all this way. we got the horses, the chariots. And he's offering you an option. And he's not even wanting money. Are you sure you're going to walk away from this? Won't you do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he, that being Naaman, went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like flesh of a little child. And he was clean. He got his rescue, didn't he? Now did you notice that when he dipped, immediately he was healed right immediately he got his rescued and if you keep reading the story eventually let's go to 15 he says this that he returned Naaman returned to the man of God and before all his company and he came and he stood before him and he said behold i know that there is no god in all the earth but in Israel so then he offers him a gift in other words he says listen i was immediately cleansed i thought you were crazy elisha but I put faith in what you said because my servant compelled me. And I put faith in what you said. I went and did it. And look, I, I was instantaneously healed and cleaned and rescued. And I just want you to know, Elisha, I now know there is only one God, and it's your God. And he goes back and he worships the God of Israel. Now, when I look at this story, I mean, I think about it. First of all, God does a work in the life of a Syrian. He's not even an Israelite, right? He does amazing work in the Syrian, and the Syrian who is hopeless, but yet he finds hope. And eventually he puts his faith in God, the man of God, the words of God, and he goes and he dips in the Jordan River and he comes out clean. Now, I know you've probably read the Bible so much and you've read so many amazing stories, you're like, how is that story so amazing? Well, just think about it: a disease that always, not part of the time, hundred percent of the time, eventually would kill you and now he's healed that's amazing god did the impossible didn't he not in god's eyes but in our eyes now there are some lessons i think we need to learn from the story and i want you to write these down they're on your listening guide please follow with me here first lesson is this that god is at work leading people to himself always God is always working to lead people to himself. Here he goes after a Syrian. You say, you know, I keep asking the question, why would he go after a Syrian? Isn't he trying to make himself known through Israel? Well, do you remember the the passage in 1 Peter that says, it's God's will that no man would perish? Is that just a decision he made in the New Testament, or has that always been God's heart? Hey, listen to me. God cares as much about the Russian and the Chinese as he does the American. hate to break it to us, but he does. It's God's will that no man... Would perish. No man includes how many billions of people are on the planet today. That's God's will that no man would perish and but would spend eternity, eternal life with Him. So God goes after Syrian because no matter what they look like, how they act, or who they are, God still desires that they would have a relationship with Him. So if you're here today and you say, Man, I'm not a believer, listen, you are not off God's radar. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you've done that's too big and too bad. There's no way that you're worthless or that you don't matter. I mean, you're always on God's radar. And God's desire for you as a non believer is the same as it was for Naaman. And that's to draw you to Himself so that you'll put your faith in Him. And if you're a believer in Christ, listen to me, there's no one off God's radar. The people that we deem unlovable, the people that we deem that we want to walk away from as, you know what, they're intolerable, they are never off God's radar, and we have to be a light to them. God is always working to draw people to himself. Second lesson is this, rescue can't be bought. Naaman went with some money, thought he had to buy it, but it didn't work out that way, did it? And I'm telling you, I think for most of us now, we wouldn't say we do this, but we do. I think when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, maybe there's some things that we need rescued from, some sin that we need to be rescued from, maybe a situation or circumstance we think we need to be rescued from. And sometimes we pray, and we pray like this, God, I love you, and I want you to take this out of my life. God, I've been reading my Bible better this week. God, I've been praying a lot more. God, I've been treating my wife better. I've been treating my, God, God, I've been doing so much more. I've been even serving in the church, God, and I've been giving my money. I mean, God, I've been doing I mean, did you see what I just did there? I said, God, I am entitled to your healing and rescue because of what I've done. How about this prayer? Lord, I just need to be rescued. I don't deserve it, but I beg for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness, and I need you to do only what you can do in my life. I know I'm unworthy, but I'm just going to trust you. Do you see the difference in the two prayers? And sometimes I think we try to buy God's rescue in our lives. As a believer, not even as a non-believer. We'll go, God, okay, I'll give my life to you, but I don't wanna to have to give up my income. God, I'll give my life to you, but I don't have to give up my friendships, God, I'll give my life to you, but I have to give up my habits and my behaviors. Well, what are you trying to do there? Negotiate with God, and it doesn't work that way. Rescue only comes through grace. Amen? Amen? Third thing I want you to know is this. Rescue comes through Jesus. Naaman went to the wrong person. He went to the king. He didn't go to Elisha. He went to the king. How many times, and I've said this before, how many times when we're facing a God-sized decision do we go to non-believers and ask for God-sized wisdom? Does it work that way? It doesn't work that way non-believers aren't going to give you godly wisdom and i'm just telling you i'm not saying you shouldn't seek godly counsel man you ought to seek it. in fact the bible says that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much you ought to go and seek their wisdom and seek them praying for you but you need to make sure their wisdom comes from god not just their own personal biasness because sometimes when i'm trying to make a big decision i find myself going to the wrong person first instead of going to god first and going god would you give me wisdom Rescue only comes through Christ. Naaman went to the wrong person. We need to quit going to the wrong people. There's only one path to rescue, and it's through Christ. The uh, the next thing I want you to know, the lesson is this. The road to rescue, and please write this down, the road to rescue is simple. I mean, Naaman, when he looked at this, goes, this is just too easy. Go dip in a river seven times and I'm clean. Really? Come on. Is it that easy? Listen to me, if you don't know Christ, salvation is just this easy. Admit that you're a sinner, put your faith in Christ, and let Him change your life. It is just that easy. Well, Doug, I got to get rid of sin in my life. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because that means you think you can fix yourself and you can't. Well, Doug, I've got some issues I got to deal with. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. don't. Because you'll never deal with them. Salvation is as simple as putting your faith in Christ and confessing your sin to Him, it's that easy. And if you're a believer today, continued walking with God, continuing to have a relationship that is growing with God is as simple as continually surrendering, obeying, and repenting. It is just that easy. Every day I surrender. Every day I choose to obey. And every day I'm going to repent of all the sin and the garbage in my life. It is just that easy. Because I, I hear the conversations where people are going, I want to have an intimate walk with Christ. What do I need to do? Well, it starts with these things. It starts with Surrender. It starts with obeying what we already know he wants us to do, and it starts with repenting of the sin that's in my life. So the road to rescue, whether you're a believer or not, is simple. Fifth thing is this. Pride is the greatest enemy of rescue. Pride is the greatest enemy of rescue. How did Naaman want to be rescued? With pomp and circumstance, didn't he? He wanted a show, Right? And he thought what Elisha had told him was impractical. He thought it was impossible. He's like, man, that makes no sense to me. Naaman wanted to show. But here's what we learn. God rescues God's way and on God's timetable, right? God always rescues in his way and on his timetable. And I'm just telling you, there's been times in my life where there was sin or situations that I would pray and say, God, I really need you to address this. And if you would do it this way, A, B, and C, because I'm type A, A, B, and C, man, that would be great. And I would get so frustrated with God because nothing's happening. And then maybe there'd be a moment in my life that I would wake up and go, maybe I just start to say, God, I just need your help. I trust you, and all of a sudden, God intervenes. Why? Because he operates his way and on his timetable, right? Pride is the greatest enemy rescue. Last thing, as we close, rescue results in real change. Naaman was changed. You'd say, yeah, yeah, Doug, I know, because he's clean now. That's not what I'm talking about. It wasn't just his body that changed. What else changed? His heart Yeah, this is hard. He now goes to Elisha going, hey, I I don't know who this guy is, but there is one God, and it's your God, and I'm on his team, right? I mean, all of a sudden, everything changes. Listen, when God does something in your life, it should change you. When God rescues you from, from, from death into life, it changes you. When God rescues you from a, a, a sins of addiction or God rescue you from sins of, of, of greed or anger or lust, it should change you. And there's so many of us in the room today that we think God's rescued, but nothing's changed. Well, if there's no change, then there's never been a rescue. Did you, did you follow that? Are you with me this morning? If there's no change there's never been a rescue. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and your life looks just like it did before Christ, there's never been a rescue there. Well, I believe, well, if you believed, even the demons believe and tremble, the sign of true salvation is a life marked by Jesus, a life marked by his way of living and his way of doing things. So if there's never been a change, there's never been a rescue. Now, I love this story because it reminds sinful Pitiful, Doug, that I'm never off God's radar. It reminds me that God still desires, even as a believer, to intervene and to do something in my life. But here's the kicker. It's never going to be on my terms. Never going to be on my terms. It's always going to be on his terms and his way of doing it. And all I have to do, please hear me, all I have to do is simply trust him. And so if you don't know Christ today, we're about to sing an amazing song about the cross of Christ. And I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand and we're going to sing and I'm just going to ask that God would just stir your heart and that today before you walk out those doors that if you want to trust him with your life, that you grab myself or Dave or Doug back in the sound booth or, or anybody that looks like they know what they're doing and just say, would you please tell me how to trust Jesus as my savior if that's you? But I know there's a ton of people in this room that are believers that are just like me that you do love God but there's that thing in your life that you need God to address and I'm just asking you would you just swallow and drop the pride this morning thinking that you can figure it out and just go okay Naaman walked away in rage and there's too many times I pray and God doesn't do it my way and I get angry with God would you just simply just trust God God, I don't know how you're going to bring rescue to this situation. I don't know how you're going to step in, but God, I just need you to, and I trust that you're going to. And if you're a believer today, as we sing this song, I just pray that God would just overwhelm your heart this morning and remind you that everything, everything, everything is crystal clear as we view it through the lens of the cross and what Christ has done for us. So today as we sing, I want you not to sing just with your, your diaphragm and your lips. I want you to sing with your heart. I want you to sing with your soul as we sing these lyrics and may God stir us. Let's stand together as I pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you for all that you do for us. And God, this story of Naaman is maybe a story most of us have never heard before. But I love this story. I, I love that this guy was not an Israelite. And it reminds me, God, that you go after everybody. The people that are unlovable, the people that we don't think would, would fit into the, the category of someone whose life could be changed by Christ. You still go after those people, Lord. But you also remind me as a believer, you still come after me. God, I I just pray that for us that are believers in the room today, that we remember that if there's something in our life that we need to be rescued from, that this story would remind us that you still have that desire, whether it's an addiction or it's just some sin we struggle with or if it's a secret sin or a situation in life, you, you still have a desire to rescue us, but not on our terms, not the way we think. And so, God, I just pray for believers today that we would just trust you and just realize that you're gonna rescue your way and on your timetable. And today, may our hearts just surrender ourselves to that. May we just swallow and drop our pride and just surrender and say, God, just just do what you do. And I'll trust you through it. And then, God, I pray for believers, uh, non-believers today, that they would realize that they can't be too bad, they can't have done too much. To be off your radar. That you love them. And you want to draw them into you. And God this story reminds me. That you're willing to use any situation. And any circumstance. And any affliction. To do that. So I pray today that their eyes might be open. And their hearts might be pulled. And be reminded that you love them. And you love them so much. That you sent your son to die for them. And that today they would trust you. God, may your Holy Spirit move in this place. May he, may he work and craft and mold and shape and chip away at our heart this morning and reminding us that you're still a God that rescues. And the answer to the rescue is still so simple. It comes to faith and trust, faith in you and trusting you to do only what you can. God, we love you. to your name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's worship together.